I want to begin in John chapter 3 because I had to find a launching point, and the message that I'm bringing you this evening is called The Other Realm. And by the time we get done, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be way more alert than you are now, and I'm going to be talking way faster than I am now because I came in here bursting, and the burst is going to come back here in a moment. But I had to begin somewhere, so I wanted to go to one of the most famous passages of Scripture where the kingdom of God is mentioned. It's Jesus and Brother Nick. Jesus and Brother Nick in John chapter number 3, and I want you to look in verse number 1. In John 3, 1, this is what we're told. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, watch this, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Father, I ask you to bless your word tonight, Lord. I pray that we would be swift to hear Lord, I pray you would anoint my tongue so that the words that roll off of it are life. And I pray, Father, that you'll expand our grasp of your glorious kingdom. Help us to think beyond heaven, Lord. Help us to think beyond just going there when we die, but help us to understand right now that we're in the kingdom and that the kingdom is coming and that the kingdom will continue. So God, let there be anointing not only of the teaching and preaching tonight, but an anointing of the hearing of what is taught and preached. And Father, if anybody is absent of your kingdom, if anybody's on the outside looking in, make that known tonight, Lord. Make it known tonight so that nobody leaves here as a mere citizen of the world, but everybody leaves here as a citizen of your everlasting kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me give you a couple of thoughts about the kingdom, lest we think that the kingdom is some incidental topic in God's word. I think that we have, guys like me, preachers, have done a disservice here in the Bible Belt and in conservative evangelical churches. I think we've done a disservice to the congregants because we seem to always be preaching for heaven, and when heaven is a settled matter, when somebody receives Jesus, we we almost leave them with the impression that that's the most important thing. Let me just give you something. That's a man-centered gospel. The most important thing is not you going to heaven. The most important thing is that your life here on earth and your life for eternity bring everlasting glory to God our Father through his son Jesus Christ. And so we have to think beyond heaven because if it's all about heaven, well, then it's just all about us. But we have to realize the gospel is primarily about the glory of God. Therefore, it must be more than just getting us to heaven. And that is where this concept, this biblical theme from beginning to end uh, of the kingdom takes place. So let me, let me just give you a couple of things. Receiving a kingdom perspective, it's my opinion that this is the largest need in the church today, is to receive and live out a kingdom perspective. And let me tell you why I believe that. I'm just going to give you a, a couple of things. Um, the, book, the Old Testament closes in the book of Malachi with a promise of a forerunner who would prepare the way for the king. And then there were 400 years of silence. 
The last prophetic word in the Old Testament is in the end of Malachi, and there is a forerunner promised who's going to make the way and prepare the way for the king who was going to come, and then God did not give a prophetic revelation for over four centuries. And so then, when we get to the first book of the New Testament, we're in the book of Matthew, and God begins to speak again. And he is bringing about the revelation of his son who would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when John the Baptist starts his ministry, he's the first prophet that's spoken for God in four centuries plus. And what is his statement? He says that as he begins his ministry, he opens up and he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The last thing in the Old Testament spoken, here comes the king. The first thing in the New Testament spoken, God didn't change his mind in 400 years, here comes the king. When Jesus begins his public ministry at the age of 30, he comes up with the exact same message that John had. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of heaven. If you study the sermons of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to find out that his primary message was not believe in me so you can go to heaven. That wasn't his primary message. It's a glorious tenet of the gospel, but that wasn't his primary message. His primary message was receive the kingdom of God. Here is the kingdom of God. If you study his sermons, you're going to find out that he preached on the kingdom more than he preached on anything else. Jesus had the first beatitude that he gave on the Sermon on the Mount was a promise of the kingdom that they'll inherit the kingdom. There's um, also the first petition in the Lord's Prayer was this. He, He said, hallowed be thy name. And the very first petition that he taught his disciples to pray was for the kingdom to come. And then you go further into it, and you're going to find out that when he commissioned his followers to go out and preach, the message that he told them to go out and preach was that the kingdom of God has come. He said the first priority of all of his disciples' life was to seek first, what? The kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of heaven is at hand was the message that he gave those that would go out in his name. When Jesus taught his parables, no fewer than 10 of them began with something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'd give the parable. His parables were given. He said it himself. They're given to to you so you can understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Jesus also told us that if we were ever going to enter the kingdom, we had to become humble like little children to even get into the kingdom. And then he said this, the rich and the wealthy and those that trust in their riches and wealth will have a hard time getting into the kingdom. He's always talking about the kingdom. You say, well, that was just Jesus. Well, no, it wasn't. Paul taught and proclaimed the kingdom. Peter taught, wrote, and proclaimed the kingdom. John taught, proclaimed, and wrote about the kingdom. So did Jude, so did James. The the kingdom, the theme of the kingdom is the theme of the Bible. God is the king over all, and he presents this kingdom, and he invites anybody that will enter in by faith to be an everlasting citizen of that kingdom. And friends, I think that I want that. If I, I can spend the rest of my years however God gives me an influence in in his kingdom, I want to be used by God to open the eyes of anybody I can just with the messages that say, it's more than having a good life on earth. It's more than going to heaven when you die because you're gonna die. It's more than just getting your ticket punched to heaven. It is something beyond life, something beyond death, and it it covers the entire scope of our existence. We're going to be in the kingdom forever and ever. So what is it? What is the kingdom? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk a little about it. Let me give you the kingdom of God simply defined here. The kingdom of God simply defined is the immeasurable realm, including both visible and invisible components over which Jesus Christ sovereignly exercises 
his supreme reign. I'm going to say it again if you want to write it down. The kingdom of God simply defined as the immeasurable realm, including both visible and invisible components over which Jesus Christ sovereignly exercises his supreme reign. We could say that the entire universe and beyond the known universe is the kingdom of God because Jesus Christ is over all. Everything's for him, everything's unto him, everything's by him. He owns it all and our awareness of that is what he desires in our life, that he is the pinnacle of all and therefore worthy of our all. Somebody once said it's this, the kingdom of God, Jeff, your definition's too long. The kingdom of God is, God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. However you want to define it, it involves God himself, God's people, God's domain, and God's authority. And you have, by virtue of your faith in Jesus Christ, been ushered into this kingdom. And I'm going to get excited before the end of this message because we are everlasting citizens of a kingdom that will never know defeat. And so let's take a look at it. Now, this is the question because Scripture can leave you with some scratching your head on this issue. Because this is what people really want to know. And because we're trapped in time, because we're earthbound, we often think, well, wait a minute, is the kingdom of God something that was, something that is, or something that's going to be? Let me give you the answer to that. Yes. The kingdom of God is something that was, something that is, and something that will be. And the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God in ways that help us to understand it's a current reality, It's a coming reality, and it's a continual reality. A current reality, a coming reality, and a continual reality. And so we're going to go briefly through these three things tonight in the time that I have left, and I am just praying that by the end of it, you'll walk out of here and you'll recognize, yeah, I'm a citizen of earth. Uh, The laws of gravity hold me to the ground. The laws of nature have bound me to certain things, and uh, I'm limited right now, but this is not my identity. I could say this, my skin is peach colored, I'm kind of short, I'm a little round, I'm middle-aged, I, I, I look like this, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, and those are the things that describe me, but I want to encourage myself here, none of that defines me. I'm not defined by my color, I'm not defined by my gender, I'm not defined by my age, I'm not defined by my occupation, I'm not defined by my human relationships. Those things can describe me, but what defines me? My relationship with Jesus Christ, by virtue of which I'm a citizen in an everlasting kingdom. And so that means the world just got bigger, purpose just got clearer, calling just got stronger, opportunity just got more realistic. Because we're realizing we're attached to something that isn't bound by these lesser laws. We're part of something bigger. And so let's look at it. I want to begin with a couple of verses in the Gospels. And I just want to highlight something that I think we already know, but let's go into it anyway. The kingdom of God is a present reality. The kingdom of God is a present reality. In Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, these are the words that we hear. Now, after John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now watch this. Gospel, evangelio, this is a word that simply means, in Greek, it means good news, It's a great testimony. It's good, good news. And Jesus equates the good news that he would proclaim as the coming in of the kingdom, the announcement 
of the kingdom of God. Please remember, the Jews were trapped under Roman oppression. They had lost their glory. They had lost their renown. They had been strangers somewhat to the power and the presence and the prophecy coming from the Lord. And so it didn't feel like that they were living in the kingdom. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and break the rule of the oppressive Romans and get rid of the the, the Greek dogs, the Gentile dogs, and establish the glory that was promised to Abraham. But none of that was their day in and day out reality. What was their reality was that they were uh, basically oppressed by a pagan government. And so when Jesus comes in, he's speaking the words of the Messiah. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And of course, he's going to attach it. Now watch this. His initial message was not believe in me. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to rise again on the third day. And then all who believe in me will go to heaven one day. You actually don't see Jesus preaching that. I believe all of that. But that wasn't the message that he proclaimed. It was bigger. Your salvation is a component of the kingdom, but it's not the entire scope of the kingdom. Your salvation fits within God's kingdom, but God's kingdom does not boil down to your salvation or my salvation. And so we've got to get the big picture that it's not about me. Hallelujah, I'm a beneficiary of what God's doing in his kingdom, but it's not about me, it's about his glory. And so Jesus came in and he said, the kingdom of God is here. He announced it. So in one strong sense, the reality is that God's kingdom is a present reality right now. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees, his good buddies, the Pharisees, when, when the kingdom of God would come. So the Pharisees are saying, when's the kingdom coming? He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, if you carry a King James Bible, it's going to say the kingdom of God is within you, and that's an unfortunate translation. And I I love my King James Bible, but like any other translation, it's got its pros and cons. But within you, Jesus is not looking at the Pharisees and saying, yeah, you've got the kingdom of God within you, because they obviously didn't. They were antagonistic towards Christ. And so the word has been debated among scholars, but the indication is this, that Jesus is the kingdom. Jesus Christ is the king. Every kingdom, both mortal and uh, eternal, is connected to the personhood of whoever the king is. There was no Davidic kingdom without King David. There there was no uh, kingdom of Solomon apart from Solomon, David's son. Kingdoms are defined by whoever the king is. And they had come to Jesus. Look at the blindness of religion. They're saying to the king of every king, the king of the universe, the king of all creation, they're looking at him and they're saying, hey, when is the kingdom of God coming? And he's saying, it is in your midst. Jesus is the king and therefore the kingdom orbits around him. And so wherever the reality of Jesus Christ is, that is the manifestation of the kingdom. And so we are recognizing because Christ lives in us because we're justified and saved. Wherever we go, friends, we are ambassadors of the kingdom. We are an illuminating power of the kingdom. We are revealing the kingdom if we are having what I would call kingdom consciousness. And so the Pharisees didn't have that, but Jesus let them know. And by the way, a little bit later on in Luke, he would open up what the kingdom really is. He didn't cast his pearls before the swine. He didn't give all of the kingdom truths to the Pharisees because their hearts were hardened. And we're going to find out in just a little bit that, uh, or actually we already read it, that except an individual is born again, you can't even see the kingdom. You're completely clueless to the kingdom until God saves you. 
You can't enter the kingdom until you're born of the Spirit, until you're born again, but you can't even, you can't even recognize the kingdom until you are saved by grace, and in that salvation process, your eyes are opened to the kingdom. I, I thought about this, Dustin, and, and, and as a pastor, I know you can understand this. A lot of times as pastors, we're constantly trying to encourage and exhort and you know, pr- help people produce fruit in their lives. And, and so much of preaching, it seems like, is, is you're, you're trying to get people to see something they don't see. And I, I just realized this. It took me a long time to realize this in ministry. I can't open anybody's eyes. I can't reveal the kingdom in the grandest sense to anybody. And the reason why so many churches, if you can just bear with me a moment, uh, this may sound a little critical, but I, I hope it's just observant. The reason why so many lukewarm churches and lukewarm Christians continue to be that way is not because they don't, don't believe in, in what's being said, but they don't see it. They don't get it. It's a, like a foreign concept to them. You're, you're talking about the kingdom. You're explaining the kingdom. You're defining the kingdom. You're giving me verses on the kingdom, but I don't get it. Well, part of the reason is for a lot of those people is because they haven't been born again. They've been churched again. They've joined. They've been membered. They've been baptized again. They've been, you know, signed a membership card again, but they haven't been born again. And so when the kingdom is preached, they're, they're just kind of awkward with it. Jesus is teaching us here that the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel ultimately is the proclamation that God's kingdom has come. So we move on. The kingdom of God, by the way, let me just say this. In one sense, the kingdom of God is not simply something we're waiting for. We're in it. Your sense of um, uh, validity needs to be tethered to your identity as one of God's children, yes, but also that your primary loyalties and allegiances come from your kingdom citizenship. No lesser loyalties. We're not loyal in our greatest allegiances to lesser things. I'm grateful to be born in the United States of America. I'm grateful to be a citizen of the state of Georgia. I live up in Hall County. It's a nice place to live. I'm, I'm grateful for all of those things. But listen, that's a thimble next to an ocean. That's small. That's nothing compared to the fact that, wow, Jesus Christ came after me and relentlessly pursued me and chased me down when I was a vile rebel and a sinner. And he loved me to the point of my brokenness. And when he found me broken, he didn't uh, exterminate me. He lifted me up in grace and mercy and told me that he loved me and that he had paid for all of the woes of my rebellion. And he would cleanse me and forgive me and take me home with him. And then he invited me to banquet with him in this glorious kingdom beginning now and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, what's true of me, though the details may be different, is true of everyone that's been born into the kingdom. So let's go further into it. The kingdom of God is not only a present reality, it is a future promise. It's the now not yet tension that we find so often in the word of God. A now reality, a present reality, but a not yet perfect fulfillment. And God has an advantage over us in this because he's not living in time. So he lives in the ever-present. Yesterday was present, today's present, tomorrow will be present. It's one long continuum for the Lord. But in our experience, there is an element that we haven't seen yet, and therefore we can say the kingdom is a, a kingdom of God is a future promise. Luke 19, 11. After they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because, watch this, they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear Immediately. Now, please remember, you and I are looking backwards in the Gospels. 
We're looking backwards into the history of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were in the inception of it. They were, Pentecost hadn't even come yet. And so the Jewish people of those days to whom Jesus took the gospel first, they are looking for a Messiah that was kind of crafted in their minds for the most part by an Old Testament expectation. Very few, if any of them in in this time period, would have understood the concept of a suffering Messiah. Isaiah 53 was in their scroll, but they didn't connect all of the dots. And so when they thought of their deliverer, their redeemer, their Messiah, they saw all of the second coming, what we know is the second coming aspects of Jesus, the conqueror, the putting down of the pagans, the destroyer of the Gentiles, the restorer of the glory to the seed of Abraham and to the one who would be the son of David ruling on the throne according to the Davidic covenant. And so they're expecting all of this. And so when Jesus is coming and he's starting to do Messiah-like stuff, I mean, little stuff like kind of raising the dead and opening blind eyes, walking on waves and multiplying bread and fish. And I'm I'm just going to tell you, I think the common folks didn't mind that he was getting all up in the grill of the Pharisees. I mean, he was all over those people that had oppressed them religiously. And so Jesus was not playing the game, but he had a lot of people just kind of on the edge. They're like, well, he doesn't really come into our tradition. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, honor the, 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 the teachings of the rabbi, rabbis, the traditions. He, he doesn't really follow all the ceremonial law. He, he came to fulfill it. And so there are these people who say, well, he seems like the Messiah and what he does, but is he the Messiah? And so when they started getting the inkling that he's going to be, he is the Messiah, the fame was being spread all around him. They thought, okay, here we go. Let's get him to Caesar's palace and you just pull the power of God down and we'll eradicate the Romans. So they thought the fullness of the kingdom that was promised to David was going to happen at the first coming. So Jesus, that is, in Luke 19 and other passages of Scripture, that's where Jesus began to give them the parables that the kingdom of God, his manifesting of it, was going to be very different than what they had presumed. I I, I want to extract that and export it to our, our century. Let's just go from there, 2,000 plus years or 2,000 years into the future where we are today. And I want to just give you something. This is a small pastoring moment. I think we all ought to humble ourselves. And we need to recognize that all of us have some preconceived notions about what the kingdom's going to be like when the kingdom power of God visits your life, when the kingdom power of God visits a church, when the kingdom power of God visits a city, when awakening takes place, I'm praying for a third great awakening, by the way, when, when God begins to move in, in revival-like patterns, when, when we all have an understanding of what we think that's going to be like. Let me just say something that will humble us all. None of us will have a complete picture. God's ways are higher than our ways. Do you believe that? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Do you believe that? And that means he's able to do exceeding abundantly above anything I can conceive, anything I can request. God knows what he's doing. And so we don't want to commit the mistake that the Pharisees did. That when something happens that we don't have a grid for. In other words, well, I know what the kingdom of God's like, and I didn't think that would be a part of the kingdom of God, so I'm going to reject that. You better be careful. You need to be wise. You need to understand that some really educated, very conservative, very religious people 2,000 years ago said the same thing. And you know what they ended up doing? Crucifying the Messiah. Because he didn't fit what they thought the king and therefore the kingdom would be like. I believe in our day 
that we're going to see a move of God in this generation. I'm praying it over my kids, and it's not going to look like anything any of us have experienced before. I believe that the work that God is going to do in the last of the last days, which I personally believe we're living in, I think there's going to be such a move of the Spirit in a Joel 2-like fashion that is going to wreck churches and wreck Christians who are refusing to change, refusing to be flexible, refusing to consider that maybe they don't have the full picture. And so what's going to happen is the wind of the Spirit's going to blow, and the people that are holding on to lesser things, he's going to blow those lesser things away, and the longer you hold on to them, you're going to get blown away with them. It doesn't mean God's going to destroy you and send you to hell. What I'm saying is this, you're not going to recognize the move of the Messiah, the move of the King. They didn't recognize it, and so they thought it was going to appear immediately, but obviously we're looking back and we know it didn't work out that way. Luke 21, 31, let's go to the next verse. Jesus is giving some prophecy about the end of the age, and he says, so when you see these things taking place, I don't have time to go into all the things he listed. You can read it there in Luke 21. He says, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So at the end of the age, there's going to be some increasing indicators. And I preached a message on this uh, middle of last year, and uh, I, I don't have time to rehash it, but we're seeing a lot of those indicators. They're happening in the geological world. They're happening in the um, nautical world. They're happening in the celestial world. They're happening politically. They're happening relationally. There's an apostasy taking place in the church. Many, I would even venture to say most of the signs, the objective signs in the Word of God that are going to be growing in intensity and frequency towards the end of the age before the second coming, many of those things are taking place right now. All you got to do is just turn on the news, and you're seeing it happening everywhere. And Jesus says, when you begin to see these things, you need to know something, that the kingdom of God is near. Well, time out. I thought the kingdom of God was here. What do you mean it's near? The answer is yes. It means we're in the kingdom of God. And ladies, forgive me, I, I'm always very um, nervous when I use a giving birth illustration. My wife's always said, you better be careful because you don't know anything about giving birth. So I, I just want to say this. Ladies, you will understand this. You know how many times has it been that moment when the labor pains hit, the water breaks, and you say something like, the baby's coming or the baby's here. Now, you're not holding the baby. You, you haven't birthed the baby, but you know the hour has come and you know you have reached a point where the baby will be coming. It's a similar thing here, the birth pangs metaphor, that when the contractions start to hit spiritually and that the kingdom, Jesus announced the coming of the kingdom when he came. Listen, that was the beginning of the, um, the labor pains, so to speak. And now we're talking about at the end of the age is the actual birth of the kingdom where the Son of God comes back to planet Earth. Have you thought about this lately? He's coming back in a physical, resurrected, glorified body, the same body he took up off the hill with, and the angel said, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? The way he left, he's coming back, and, and he is literally coming back. A Jewish king is going to rule the earth. And all the anti-Semites in the world need to hear that. The Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, is going to come back and he's going to rule the earth. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And friends, that is my King. That is my Lord. That is my Savior. He's going to be coming back to this earth. And that is going to be the pinnacle of the kingdom where the Son of God gets all of the glory that his holy name has been due for all of time. Jesus says, when you start seeing those signs taking place, know this, that the climax of the kingdom is really close. Acts 14, 22 through 23. This is uh, Paul. He got nearly stoned to death, if not actually to death, in uh, the city of Lystra. And he gets back up and he just keeps preaching. And as he goes to the next city, I mean, he's all beaten up with rocks and, you know, dented in and scarred and all of that. 
you talk about an object lesson. He walks into the city bruised and battered and bloodied, and he's still preaching. His Bible says in Acts 14, 22, he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I just like that. Could you imagine being somebody, I think he went back into Antioch, it may have been to Derby. I can't remember where he preached this, but it was after he was stoned in Lystra. And could you imagine the Apostle Paul just bloodied and bruised and battered, and he comes shuffling into wherever it was that they're meeting. And maybe you were, had the misfortune of complaining all day that day, and yeah, you had a rough day at work, or you're out of sorts with your spouse, or your kids wouldn't behave, and you're, you know, you, your chariot got stuck in traffic, and you couldn't get to the service on time, and you were mumbling, grumbling, and then Paul comes in there, and he's all beaten to a pulp and bloodied, and he's there to encourage you. He's there to exhort you, to, to encourage you, continue on in the faith, and he says, because it's through a lot of tribulation that we have to enter into the kingdom. Let's not forget that promise of Scripture. I would love it if you get saved, you get filled, you get dispatched, you get anointed, you get blessed, uh, waves are under your feet, you're always walking, you never get sick, you never have a struggle. I would love to be able to preach that gospel to you, but I'd be a liar. It's just not the way it works. You're going to go through tribulation. You're going to struggle. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience loss. And especially if you're living godly in Christ Jesus, because we have a promise on us when we do that, all of us that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Paul was doing that. But here's the thing. You're going through the tribulation. I'm not talking about the tribulation, but you're going through the trouble. You're going through the pain. You're going through the hurt. You're going through the heartbreak. You're going through it. And when you go through it, you're going to be finding yourself on the back end, entering into the fullness of the kingdom of God. So here's the, here's the exhortation. It's very simple. Keep going. Keep going. Don't, and, and listen, it's possible that your body keeps going, but your heart has fainted. Don't just go through the motions. Keep doing what Dustin was telling us to do earlier. Praise the Lord anyhow. You say, I don't feel like it. Well, tell your feelings to shut up and sit down and let your spirit run the show. Feelings are a wonderful caboose, but they're a horrible engine. Don't let your feelings be the engine. Put them in the caboose. You drag your feelings wherever you want to. I love it when my feelings are great, but when my feelings aren't great, I still need to praise God and recognize that it's going through the trouble and tribulation we're going to enter into the kingdom. So let me just tell you this. When I, when I hear Paul preaching that, through much tribulation we enter into the kingdom, do you, do you know what that tells me? I think as we press through our tribulation, as we press through our problems, as we press through warfare, as we press through battles and circumstances and weaknesses and peril and all of that stuff, I believe as you continue to press through, you're actually going deeper into the kingdom. You're not simply going on a straight line. When you press through, the Lord looks at that and says, look at her, look at her. I mean, think about it. You said, Jeff, you got any Bible precedent for that? Yeah, the book of Job. The Lord's sitting there saying, Satan, did you see Job? You said he was going to do this, but he didn't. And the Lord, Satan takes our names, accuses us in the presence of God, and God says, I know what she can handle, I know what he can handle, and they're going to press through. And as you do, you're going deeper in immersion in the kingdom. I believe that there are things that God has set aside for each of us. I'll be very specific. There are experiences and elements of the kingdom that are deeper that God has positioned for you that are yet future. It means he's got some stuff in the kingdom for you that you're pressing into that you don't have any idea about yet, and it's good but you have to press through to get it. And it's in that pressing through, 
pushing up against the resistance that you grow spiritual muscle and strength and you come through being strengthened by God and you experience the deeper immersion in the kingdom. Luke 22, next verse, verse 17 and 18. I like this. Man, I am just about out of time. Uh, You know what they did? They set this clock 17 minutes fast. I actually have plenty of time. Cool. That's an old technique. It's supposed to get me out of the pulpit quicker. Never works, though. Luke 22, verse 17. Jesus took a cup. You know where we are, right? Upper room, Last Supper. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. That's the bread. For I tell you, or excuse me, the cup. For I tell you, watch this, from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Look at what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. Now listen, it's the Passover. Very soon he's going to give his life as the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. So he's spending that last moment with his disciples as, 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 as Hebrews, and they're honoring the Lord for deliverance, and they're honoring the Lord in a festival, well, a celebration, a remembrance. And they've got that cup of wine, and they're sharing it together. And Jesus makes an incredible statement. I just believe my Bible, by the way, so don't write me mean emails about the wine and what I'm about to say, but I just believe this. As Jesus drinks the wine, he makes them a promise. He says, that's the last wine I'll drink until I drink it with all of my people in the kingdom. So in the kingdom, there is the promise that we will sit down with the Son of God, and I mean this in the most holy and reverent way, that we will, in essence, raise a glorious toast to the name above every name, and we will say, unto thee be all honor and glory and praise. We remember you, O Lamb of God, and we will sup with him. We will drink with him, not in a drunken debauchery. You, please, I don't even want to qualify that. You know my heart on that. This is an issue of we're going to be fellowshipping with the Lord. He says, I won't have the fruit of the vine until I can have it again with all of you in the kingdom. I don't know what that does for you, but that just, I mean, that just kind of blows my mind that he's the glorious, holy son of God, God the son, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, and he's going to have some fruit of the vine that heaven will make and that we will be able to dine with him. That's what he desires. That's an element of the kingdom. That's better than going to heaven, going to heaven and sitting on a cloud and getting my mansion and walking down Gold Street and all of that stuff. That's fine. I don't mind that imagery. But listen, the the, the joy of heaven is not the streets of gold and the pearly gates and all of that stuff. The joy of heaven is that's where Jesus is. And if Jesus isn't in heaven, I don't want to go there. I want to be wherever he is. And he says, when we do get together in the kingdom, and by the way, this is that he's referring to is not a, not a, a heavenly scene. It is an earthly kingdom scene that we're going to be his subjects and dine with the king when his kingdom comes to earth. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. I've already mentioned this. I won't labor here long. Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray at their request. And so he honors the Father's name, and the first request is, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Jesus taught us that top of the list, when he, he listen, he could have taught us to pray about a lot of things. And he did during his life. I mean, pray that the Lord will send laborers in the harvest. That's an awesome prayer. But this is what he said. When they said, teach us how to pray, Jesus first hallowed the Father's name, recognizing to whom we are praying. And then he said, ask him to bring his kingdom. Top of his list. Now, friends, think about what we pray about. And I do. I pray about just about anything. There's nothing. 
I remember before I got married, one of my top prayers was, Lord, let me find a wife before I lose my hair. In the name of Jesus, let me find a wife. And I did. My hair's starting to leave me, but man, I found a wife. He answers prayers about silly stuff like that. I pray about even dumber stuff that I'm not going to repeat here, but I pray about anything. But I'm going to tell you something. When I'm thinking rightly and when I'm being led of the Lord, my aspirations and my longings bypass all of this earthly stuff. And the thirst and the longing of the child of God's heart when he or she is walking in the spirit is, Lord, I want nothing more than for you to come back and receive all of the glory that is due your name. I want your name to be vindicated. I want your throne to be established. I want every knee to bow. I want your enemies to be put down. I want your glory to, as Walker prayed earlier and read the scripture, I want it to cover the earth like the sea. See, friends, that's what pleases God. He is pleased to bless us but we are all susceptible to focusing so much more on the blessings we desire or that we need. And we can inadvertently at times bypass the blesser because we're so fixated on the blessing. But the kingdom of God is about the king himself. And so we, we, we leave these lesser loyalties and we say, oh Lord, let your throne be established. So we get down to the very last thing. We've talked about it being a present reality and a future promise. And I'm just gonna use the remaining few minutes I've got and hit something that's really near and dear to my heart. The kingdom of God is a supernatural dominion, a supernatural dominion. This has been on my mind. I have internally, uh, in a positive way, churned on this all day of how, and it may be just my experience with people or it may be more widespread, but I know that I feel this constant pull in me to walk in the supernatural reality of the kingdom. Why would I want to do that? Why can't we just have disciplines? Why not just a disciplined Bible study and um, a serious commitment to worship and, and, and an hour with God every morning? And I, I need to tithe and I want to share my faith and I want to go to church. And all of those things are great. But I'm going to tell you something. If that's the end game of our aspirations, if that's what we've boiled the kingdom down, we have to grow because we are serving a, the whole of the Christian faith, friends, is that we are inextricably intertwined by faith with the supernatural God over all. We are his, he is ours, and he is um, not a man in the sense of a mere man. He is an invisible, immortal, self-existent, eternal, mind-blowingly glorious, good, good Father. And he has called your name. And when you cried out in whatever that pitiful plaintive cry was, whether it was Lord Jesus come into my heart or God have mercy on me a sinner, or for me it was just a puffy-eyed, snotty nose, I've wrecked my life, please forgive me kind of thing. I mean, whatever the cry was, he said, I will honor that cry and I will make you my own. And this is the one that we are living in. This is the one who oversees our life and shepherds us and provides for us. And we won't know until we get to heaven how much of our own stupidity he protected us from in this life. And, and by faith, I, I just thank him regularly, just by faith. Thank you for all of the dumb things you never let me do. Thank you for all the stupid prayers you said no to. You broke my heart when you said no, but I thank you now because I see what would have been the outcome. And so he's constantly uh, intertwined with our life. But I want to tell you something. It's not natural. It's supernatural. 
And the, the, the little prophet in me, every now and then, he just gets kind of Elijah on Mount Carmel stirred up. And, and, and I think the spirit of this age, the spirit of religion, it's probably an overused frame, phrase, but it's everywhere. The spirit of religion that seeks to take one little slice of the kingdom, pull it out, blow it up, and make it the entirety of the kingdom. And it happens all across the board. So for some people, the entire kingdom is evangelism. And if, you, if you're not a, a, a sold out, just anointed evangelist with all of your might, and it's not the most important thing to you, you're missing the kingdom. Well, no, you're wrong. You may be missing evangelism, but you're not missing the kingdom necessarily. Or for others, it's discipleship. Or for others, it's intercessory prayer. Or for others, it's signs and wonders. Or for others, it's Bible study. And they take little slices of the kingdom. I've, I've met people who, man, if, if, you, if you own a pet, you're sinning against God because you could take that dog food money and you could support a missionary. You don't care about missions because you've got a chihuahua. I mean, that kind of stuff. But what do they do? They sliced off a part of the kingdom. They blew it up with their pride and they made it the whole kingdom. Listen, let's remember something. I've got to get to these verses, but I, I just feel like meddling for a moment. We need to recognize what God taught us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 teach us that God purposefully makes us different wires us differently, gives us different desires so that we may focus on different parts. Uh, David Farmer is probably one of the most gifted evangelists I know. And he eats and lives and breathes evangelism and missions and compassion and mercy ministries. I'll never be that guy, but I can look at him and I don't say today, well, Dave, you ought to be all about exposition. You ought to be about media ministry because that's what's important to me. You ought to be about pastoring. No, I look at him and say, thank God this guy's in the kingdom. And, and then I, I look at Dustin with his pastoral gifts, and I'm thinking to myself, I will never be the kind of person-to-person shepherd that he is. And some might say, well, Jeff, aren't you going to get jealous of that? No, I thank God. I prayed for a guy like that. I wanted to work with a guy like that for years. And so when I look at some of you out there, and you don't want to preach, you don't want to sing, but you want to intercede, lock her up in a closet and just let her pray for 10 hours. Say, so, well, that's kind of impractical. Really? I got a feeling those are the people who are going to be front of the line getting the rewards when we stand before the Lord. And so what I'm saying is this, be real careful not to extract a portion of the kingdom, inflate it, and make it the whole kingdom to the expense of the rest of the kingdom. Some people want to make supernatural signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they want to make that the whole kingdom to the extent where if you don't pray in tongues, you don't speak in tongues, you're probably not saved. That's a damnable heresy. That is just not true. But some people want to do that, and so they make the whole kingdom this or that. Well, what am I trying to get to? Well, let's just get into the word. I got three verses, or maybe four, and we're done. I got an email from a viewer uh, on TV this weekend, and they said, we love your preaching, but sometimes we have to turn you off because you talk way too fast. (laughs) She asked me to slow down, and I thought about saying I'll try, but I knew it would be a lie, so... Get what you can, amen, I do talk fast. Romans 14, 17. Hear me. It's a supernatural dominion. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, just watch this. The kingdom of God is not primarily an issue of from the outward in. It's from the inward out. Jesus said what goes into a man doesn't defile a man. It's what comes out of a man. And so in the church at Rome, you had a bunch of people that are saying, if you drink wine, then you're sinning. That offends our scruples. If you eat meat, sacrifice to idol, then, the idols, that's, that's ungodly, that's wrong. And so their, their convictions 
were very strong in areas that didn't really have anything to do with the gospel. And so Paul was refereeing these two groups. And ultimately, this is what Paul said. You that have liberty, you need to understand that some people don't have that liberty, so you need to consider them. Don't flaunt your freedom in front of people that will struggle with it. And then he said, to you, the weaker brother, you need to realize they're not doing anything wrong. You need to let them be as free as they want to be and not try to control them. And so he uses the meat and the drink, and he's saying, by the way, the kingdom of God is not about what you eat or what you don't eat or what you drink and what you don't drink. He said, if you want to know what the characteristics of the kingdom of God is, let me give you three. Righteousness, that's a matter of the heart. Peace, that's a matter of the heart. And joy in the Holy Spirit, that's a matter of the heart. And so the kingdom of God is more about supernatural realities than anything we can see on the outside. And so what that does is it frees you up from having to judge people and watch people and criticize people and critique people. Listen, turn in your badge. You're not the sheriff of Christiantown. Quit patrolling the streets. You're losing your joy. You're losing your peace. And if you're not careful, you're going to get bitter and you're going to lose your righteousness. And so when we are citizens of the kingdom and we're walking in accordance with the spirit of the kingdom... That means we're going to be walking in practical righteousness and we're going to have peace of heart and mind and our expression will be that of joy. It's a supernatural, all that supernatural. You can't fake any of that. 1 Corinthians 4.20. Ooh, man, I'm getting stirred and I'm out of time. 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, (laughs) but in power. I like what Paul's doing. He's setting some people straight at Corinth. And he had some guys in there that were uh, trying to divide the church. And he had some people that were slandering him and talking about him. And basically what he's telling them, and he's like, yeah, when I come to town, I'm going to handle all of that because it's not about what you can say. It's about what you can do. And Paul had apostolic anointing. Paul made a guy blind one time. You don't want to mess with Paul. And what Paul is saying is, yeah, those, those guys actually talk better than me. They preach better than me. I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. I'm not eloquent in speech. He, and, but, he, but Paul said, yeah, but it's actually not going to be about what's said. It's going to be about a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so this is something that's really, really encouraging for me. I'm, theology, is I'm passionate about it. Truth is just so important to me. It's what drives me. I want to know what's true. I lived under lies for so long. I want to know what's true. But what happens, what I found out is some people hide behind a quest for truth. They're always wanting to learn something new. Tell me something new. Tell me something deeper. I want to learn something new. And a lot of times it's an excuse for them hiding behind that truth. And that what they don't want to recognize is they don't have any power. They've got some, some wonderful systematic theology, but they don't do anything for the kingdom. And so what they want to do is they want to debate and they want to argue and they want to talk and maybe sometimes they just want to teach, but they don't want to do anything. And what Paul was saying is this, I hear all your speech, but that's not really the kingdom of God unless it's backed up with power. So let's not sing songs if we're not living in power. Let's not preach sermons if we're not living in power. Let's not debate and feud and criticize if we don't have the power of God. If we don't have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, let's not, let's not talk about what others are doing or not doing. Let's get on our face before God and say, God, be merciful unto me. My life is absent of power. And sometimes we all know that knowledge puffs up. So it, it is a danger. The more you learn, the more arrogant you can get. And so one of the things we got to do is I, I would encourage you to do this. You won't hear this in too many pulpits, but I'm just going to risk it. For a little bit, stop trying to learn something new and just start using what you already know. I thought that'd get a bigger amen. (laughs) 
You know, you probably don't need to go to another Bible study in the sense of got to learn something new, got to learn something new, got to go to this conference, got to go to this. Why don't we just start using what we learned last year or last week for that matter? And if you'll start just focus on, God, how can I use some of this good stuff you're pouring in me? I promise you something. You're not going to be pointing your finger at other people worried about what they're doing or what they're not doing. You're going to be saying, God, I just want you to use me. And so I'm getting there. I'm two verses down. Matter of fact, we've already done this one. I am going to read it though. Remember, it's a supernatural dominion. That's why Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, right where we started, unless somebody's born again, he can't see the kingdom. And then he says it again in verse number five, unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, that's a physical birth and a spiritual new birth, you can't enter the kingdom. We we aren't even qualified to get in the kingdom except for a radical, revolutionary, spiritual encounter with God whereby we are translated from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. That's just a fancy way of saying we are saved. And it means literally you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And apart from that, you can join every church in Gwinnett County. You can get baptized in every baptistry. You can get sprinkled. You can get dunked. You can get confirmed. You can do all of this stuff. You can do it over and over again. You can drink a gallon of communion juice and eat a loaf of communion wafers if you want. And until you are born again, a supernatural encounter through which you enter into a supernatural realm, you're brought into a brand new realm. And Jesus Christ provided all of that through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And there's got to be a moment of repentant faith where you lay yourself down and you say, Lord, you are king. I am not king. I am not queen. You are the ruler. You are the sovereign. You are the majestic one. And in that moment, you are ushered into a supernatural realm. You're born again. And until you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. I'm going to be gentle with this, but I'm going to be firm, and then we're going to go home. If you are spending years and years and you don't get anything about the kingdom, that you're still just kind of in this, well, I prayed that prayer one time, and I don't, this stuff is just not real to me. I say this gently. I, I, I mean this. I would really encourage you to find out. Make your calling and election sure. That means just get still before the Lord and say, Lord, have I ever really truly surrendered to you? Or do I just have some Bible facts up here in my, you know, my gray matter? But, Lord, I... If none of this stuff makes sense, if none of this stuff motivates us, if you're, if we're, I mean, everybody has a bad week or a bad month now and then. I'm not talking about that. But if you're never moved, if the word doesn't move you, if the spirit doesn't move you, if nothing of the kingdom moves you, you don't see the kingdom. And I, I say that not because I'm being mean, but because maybe God will use this as a catalyst, as a diagnostic where you say, wow, maybe I haven't entered the kingdom. And friend, you can do that right here tonight. What does it take? It takes repentance because this is the last verse. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus made the announcement and then he gives one instruction. Well, one instruction in two parts. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent, metanoia, change your way of thinking, which leads to a change of direction. That means stop thinking about the kingdom and the king in natural means. He's everything. A full surrender to Jesus Christ is the only rightful response to his love and his sacrifice for you. A full surrender, not a partial, not I'm going to get around to it when I'm 30, not I'm going to get around to it when I get married, but now a full wholesale surrender. That's where your joy is. 
That's where his righteousness is. That's where his peace is. That's when you walk into the kingdom. And I promise you something. The moment that occurs in an, individual, in an individual's life, he or she will begin to see the kingdom, and that's what God is calling us unto. Not just get your ticket punched to heaven, but sell out for the kingdom of God, which will never know its end.